up world it's your pass first point guard and blazer beat writer mike richmond you're listening to another episode of locked on blazers part of the locked on podcast network available wherever you get podcasts today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need visit rockauto.com and make sure you tell them locked on sent you Today's episode is also the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. We do this each and every week. You send me questions two different ways. Either on Twitter, my handle is Mike G. Rich. You can tweet at me whenever you're thinking of it, or watch the skies on Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email me. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. One more time, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to get involved. And typically, later in the week, we would have a special delivery mailbag for the questions that don't make the Monday show, That we, uh, but we still want to get everyone's questions in. So we're not going to have a special delivery mailbag this week, so don't worry about it. If you asked questions over the last 10 days or so, I got you in the show. You're in the Word doc. Like I said, tweet at me, email me. Those are the two ways to get involved. We do this each and every week. It's a ton of fun. So without further ado, let's get into it. This first one comes from Plebe in Portland at Mal Nadi on Twitter who asks, is this the year Olshay, Neil Olshay that is, just lets the trade deadline go without making a move? Things have looked bad for sure, but many of the intriguing seeds of past off seasons are starting to bloom. Nazir's highs have been like 11s, no? Yeah, but... I mean, yes, Nazir Little has looked, when he's been good, he's been really good. I agree. Maybe even 12s. Uh, he's, but I, I'm not sure Nazir Little was, is involved in the trade discussions, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, I think this is a likely a year where the Blazers don't make a move for a couple reasons. They can't trade first round picks. They don't have many desirable parts to trade. Like their most tradable assets, Gary Trent Jr. and Zach Collins are both expiring deals. Zach is injured, uh, and he's he's been injured, so he doesn't it's not like he has a track record and hasn't got back. He's, he's basically gonna miss two full seasons. They don't have second round picks because they, they have 2022 and 2026. Those are the two two second round picks they can trade. It, they just don't have a lot of ammo, and I think uh more teams are going to be are gonna try to be buyers like them than sellers. Uh John Hollander of the Athletic was the first person to point that out. And then if you just look at the standings, if more and more teams are gonna be gunning for that tenth spot to get into the play in tournament, there's just not gonna be a lot of movement. That's one of the reasons I kind of stopped doing the trade machine stuff for a little bit. Let's, you know, hold off on the pie in the sky deals because I, I don't even I'm not even a hundred percent sure a low a, a small deal is happening. That said, Neil has been really good at in season trades. I think it's the best thing he's done in terms of roster construction. I mean drafting David I mean, Loder is pretty good too, but in in the last eight seasons, I think his in-season trades have been the most impactful. If you think about uh, trading for Yusuf Nurkic and adding Rodney Hood, uh, let's ignore the Aaron Aflalo thing, but it's that's where he's 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 been his best. So uh, I don't. It's not. I'm saying that there's a non-zero chance he makes a trade, but if there's any year that he was going to stand pat, it would be this one. Next question comes from Simon, who asks. What do you think is the cause of every, quote, third quarter deficit that our team seems to get always? Sometimes this year, always last year. So, yeah, I think the um, last year they were truly terrible third quarter team. This year, that's a myth. I know that they had uh, really bad third quarters in that three-game losing streak at Phoenix, Denver, and, the, and L.A., and I think that's when Simon sent this question in roughly or shortly thereafter. Uh, but the, they haven't been a bad third quarter team all year. You know, in some sometimes they do. I'm not saying they don't have any, but like it's not a trend. In fact, 
here are their quarter-by-quarter quarter net ratings. In the first quarter, they're seventh in the NBA with a plus 8.4 net rating. That means they outscore teams by 8.4 points per 100 possessions in the first quarter. They're pretty good, a top-10 team in the first quarter, right? They're, they start out games pretty well. They are the worst team in the NBA in second quarters, as in minus 10.7 net rating. They just get crushed in those quarters. And these are the dameless minutes. Damian Lord plays all of the first quarter and then usually sits the first six minutes of the second quarter. And the Blazers typically get their ass whooped when Dame's on the bench. It's why I've been highlighting dameless minutes all year because the minutes that they can survive when their best player is on the bench are going to define their games. They're the worst second quarter team in, in the league. And you will see this trend continue as we move through the quarters. Third quarter, they're 10th. They're 10th in the league in net rating in third quarters. They've been fine. 10th is a good spot, plus 3.7, typically outscore teams in the third quarter. Of course, they're going to have bad nights. Basketball's kind of random. It is increasingly a make-or-miss league with the volume of three-pointers teams are shooting. Bad luck will get you. In the regular season, it will certainly get you. So, but they're not a bad third quarter team. They're they're like a they're maybe even a good third quarter team, certainly an above average one. In the fourth quarter, though, they're 20th, minus three and a half. Uh, you may recall Damian Lillard winning a lot of games in the final five minutes, but he typically sits the first three to four minutes of the fourth quarter. Sometimes he has to come back in a little sooner when they're really screwing it up. But those, their two bad quarters, the even ones, the second and the fourth, are when Dame sits. When Dame sits, they're bad. That's why I've been tracking Dameless minutes all year, because the he, when he's out, and they stink, then they lose. That's the formula. When and then he and otherwise in the fourth quarter he has to come back and save them in the final five minutes. It's it is a it is a trend that holds true no matter how you hold the magnifying glass. Thanks for the question, Simon. Next question comes from Kyle S, who asked a long question about trades and then included this little tidbit in here, which was kind of unrelated, but I pulled it out because it's more fun. And the question is, who do you think is the power forward equivalent of CJ? I think the the sort of larger question from Kyle that I, I've totally ignored. This is Kyle S, by the way. I think we have another Kyle later in the document. Uh, Kyle S says, you know, who do you think is is the power forward equivalent to CJ? The the idea being like, let's, you know, make a trade for CJ for the equivalent. Uh, I don't think that's how trades work necessarily, uh, but but this wasn't even Kyle's point anyway. Now I'm, I'm nitpicking a question that I made up here. That's how critical I am. I'm, I made up a question and put Kyle's name on it. And now I'm saying it's a bad question. No, it's just poor construction by the uh, this podcast host. Uh, I think and I don't, I don't want this to be mean, okay? I think I think the power forward equivalent of CJ McCollum is either Tobias Harris or Danilo Gallinari. I say Danilo Gallinari because he's just a bucket. The dude is, has been a bucket and has just been getting buckets for a long time, but he doesn't do a lot else. I mean, he's, he's different from CJ. He's herky-jerky, and he shoots a ton of free throws. He's like has one of the highest free throw rates in the league, or he did back when he could play basketball regularly. But... Um, he didn't do a lot else. He just he's just a dude who could get a bucket and you could rely on him to go get a bucket. And he was he was kind of weird. It was a three or a four. Like what position did he play? Much like CJ one or a two or whatever. He's just a scorer. That's what position. Danilo Gallinari is a six ten scorer, while CJ is a six foot three one. Tobias Harris um, is sort of like the other end of the CJ spectrum. He's a guy who has always been seen as pretty good and is not just not an all-star because he's a complimentary part on good teams. Like Tobias Harris is a really good basketball player and he's playing really well this year on a good team, but he wasn't in the conversation. I mean, he was in someone's conversation for the all-star team, but not a realistic one in the East. It just, it, it wasn't going to happen. And I, 
by that I mean it's like CJ. What CJ is is just like a, he tops out at an A minus. Dude is really good, one of the best players at his position, but never one of the best players in the league. Um, so I think those are the quote unquote equivalents. A lot of other power forwards that are maybe like equally talented, equally impactful, have like really really well rounded games. Somebody like Paul Millsap or something like that. And I don't th- I don't think that is the equivalent of CJ, which is why I went with Gallinari and Tobias Harris. Next question comes from PD, excuse me. Next question comes from Oregon Meister on Twitter at Oregon Meister, who asks, "Freaky Friday question: If you choose a player to swap minds with Stotts, who benefits the most from this?" So I don't think the Blazers have a lot of guys in the rotation that like just don't know the plan. They don't have the Mario Hazonia who's constantly getting screamed at. In fact, who does Stotts yell at this year? I'm not in the arena, so it's harder to uh, it's harder to see those little moments when he's just. T- just tearing into someone like you would do with Mario Hazonia and Myers Leonard. Um, so I don't know who's who's taken on that role necessarily. So, but I don't think there's anyone who's in the regular rotation who would sort of who's kind of like a low IQ basketball player who would benefit from having like the coach brain to kind of clue them in. So my choice is Carmelo Anthony because I think Carmelo Anthony sometimes his issue is decision making. Uh, he is a better. It's finally happened. It finally finally happened for for most of this year he was better on post ups than he was as a spot up shooter. But he's finally shooting enough spot ups at a high enough level that his that being a spot up shooter the kind of role that we all think if you watch him enough you think he's be more natural just catch and shoot mellow as opposed to post up mellow i think if mellow could identify when to post from and i'm I'm, i guess i'm just crediting stats with that sort of level of decision making here he'd be a lot better because there's so many times where mellow doesn't have an advantage and he decides to jab 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 fade but when he does have an advantage in the post when he has a little guy or a young guy who's going to bite on pump fakes he eats those dudes up and he was he was surprisingly efficient in the post for most of the year but it's finally caught up to him because post-ups are hard to be efficient on they're just they're difficult shots the way the league works now Oregon Meister asks one more question who's your no 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 yes type of player this season <laughs> it's definitely mellow I'm choosing him for both of these I mean there's so many where I say my sort of classic thing if you watch a game with me is if someone takes a difficult shot I'll just say tough there's so many times when I'm watching Melo and I'm like, tough. And he hits it because he's a dude's a professional scorer. So he's my no, 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 yes guy. Absolutely. Next question comes from Joel who asks, Carmelo Anthony has played well since the first month of the season and has been an important offensive player in a number of games. I find he plays best alongside Covington in a small ball lineup when matchups permit. When Nurk returns, when Yusuf Nurkic returns, do you think a lineup of Rocco, Mello, and Nurk at the three, four, and five would be effective. Uh, I don't, I don't love that because I actually think Mel, uh, Rocco's better as a four or a five because if you put him at a three, he's going to have to guard uh, wings, and, and if you put him at a three with those two, he's going to have to guard wings, and that means he's going to have to guard someone maybe who dribbles. Uh, and Rocco, if you're, you can dribble past Robert Covington, you can beat Covington off the dribble. It happens all the time. He's really good at sort of poking the ball away, swiping, swiping the ball away after you get past him, but he gets beat. His his hands are faster than his feet, uh, and. So I don't love him on the perimeter, and I think if he's on the perimeter with his slow feet and then behind him is mellow, um, that's that's not a great plan. But I will say that uh, I looked up the overall numbers of Covington and uh, Carmelo Anthony when Robert is at the five and Mello is at the four. These are courtesy of cleaningtheglass.com. Uh, the most used lineups of those are Rocco, Mello, Hood, Trent and Simons. That lineup gets crushed. You sub in uh, Dame and Derek Jones on that group. So that's Dame, DJ, Trent, 
Mello and Robert Covington, that gets that group gets crushed. So they the most used lineups with Covington at the five and Mello at the four, they don't do particularly well. Um, they're believably struggling on on defense, but like overall, they're they're a slightly they're like their defensive rating of 117.8 so it's like they're a bad defensive team but they, they're pretty good on offense 85th percentile 120 points per, per 100 possessions they're those those two small ball has given the blazers have been a good offensive pairing for for them good offensive grouping i should say for for the team but so the most the most regular lineups with a small ball look i'm, I'm surprised to find out they're as bad as they are but in very limited possessions with with Dame and CJ on the court when Mello and uh, Covington are your are your front court, those teams have those lineups have kicked ass. The Damian Lord, CJ McCollum, Gary Trent Jr., Carmelo Anthony, Robert Covington group is plus eighty two point seven points per hundred possessions. It's only nineteen possessions. It's pretty small. And if you sub in Derek Jones for Gary Trent Jr., which I think is a, a very realistic closing lineup, Dame, CJ, DJ, Mello, and Rocco. That, that team scores 161 points per 100 possessions, an offensive rating of 161.1. Their defense isn't very good, but um, if they can get buckets like that, that's an intri- that's a super, super intriguing group for me. So I, I don't love the Nurk pairing with those guys, but I do like, in general, more small ball with them. All right, let's come back in the second segment. This, it's it's all star weekend. I got a lot of time, a lot, a lot of a lot of time in the evenings to to dig into the stats. So thanks for sticking with me on these. I got more coming for you. So that's what we'll do in the second second. Answer more of your questions. But before we get there, let's talk about RockAuto.com. Y'all know RockAuto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. And you can go to RockAuto.com right now and shop for all the auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need. From engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil to even new carpet. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks. And all of it will be delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and it's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices that you prefer. And best of all... It's the prices because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and they're the same for professionals as they are for do-it-yourselfers. Why pay twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Here at Lockdown Blazers, you know we got you covered for all things Portland basketball, but you might be asking, what about the rest of the sports news? Well, I'm telling you right now, you do not have to worry because the Locked On Podcast Network has a new show that just launched called Locked On Today, hosted by the great Peter Bukowski. It's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Joel. Joel asked a two-parter. I answered the first one in the first segment. Second one leads off the second segment. Joel continues. Anthony Simon shoots better as a catch-and-shoot player or after one or two dribble relocation. I find when he shoots off the bounce, he's inefficient and somewhat wild. If he focused more on being a catch-and-shoot player, I think it would open up opportunities to attack closeouts and get to the rim. So... 
I 100% agree with the catch and shoot stuff. Anthony Simons shoots 48.6% from three-point range on catch and shoot threes. He is in the 97th percentile, according to both these numbers from NBA.com, but according to NBA.com, 97th percentile as a spot-up shooter. He is elite. Give that dude, give him a catch with his feet set. It is going in nearly half the time, 48.6% from three. Here's the problem. He doesn't get to the rim. Even, even off a pump fake, he doesn't get to the rim because he doesn't he doesn't weaponize that pump fake. And he shoots 35% on twos, 35%. On pull-up twos, as you've noted, a little bit erratic, he's 36% from two. He's also shooting 33% from three um, off pull-ups. Like if he dribbles, it's a lot worse. It's not just one dribble, two dribbles. It's not like if he hits that third dribble, it's bad. If he's... if if Amphrey has to dribble, he is a significantly worse shooter. Which brings us to our next question. Joseph G., who just listened to the podcast that posted on Monday or Sunday evening, but Monday's show, uh, where I talked about Amphrey Simon in the dunk contest and how he had a really he has a really low free throw rate and he has um, he takes more than 70% of his shots, nearly 72% of his shots are from three. It's almost three quarters of attempts are from three. He just doesn't get into the paint very much. He doesn't get to the rim. He doesn't dunk. He doesn't shoot layups. He doesn't use that athleticism. And Joseph um, says that he wonders if that is uh, Terry Stott's problem. If Ant's lack of translating his ability to drive uh, to more dunks in the game is is a Terry Stott's issue, noting that isn't it the role of coach to support him and demand he drives to the rim a few times a game? It seems like he just needs some confidence and his coach and team supporting him uh, to go for it would help. So there is a big difference between coach and teammates supporting him and, and Terry Stotts demanding him. One thing, I don't think in the NBA you can really like demand that a player do a certain thing. Like you can say, you can watch film with him and say, here's where you attack. But once the game go- is going, it's not like... Terry can yell from the sideline, Ant drive, and it's just going to happen. You can kind of do that at lower levels of basketball. You can kind of say, you you know, here are the rules, you have to do it. But the NBA players play. Like, you just you just don't have that kind of, um, you don't have that kind of draconian control. Now, you could set up an offense that maybe encourage that a little bit more than Terry Stotts' offense for sure, but I don't think you could sort of like demand it like the way you could demand it like a high school senior attack the rim more often supporting him though is an interesting idea um i'm not under the impression that the blazers are not encouraging to amphrey simons in fact i think he might get just from watching as much encouragement as much positivity as anyone on the roster uh the the interesting thing about confidence is it's not something that can be given to you damien lord cannot give Amphrey Simon's confidence. He can be confident in him. He can support him. But confidence is something you have. It is not something you get. So what Simon's needs to do is drive to the rim a few times after hearing all that positive reinforcement, dunk a handful of times, then he will have confidence. You got to go snatch it. You cannot get it. Next question comes from Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, Odds of Hood being traded, I'd hate to see I hate to see it, but once CJ comes back with the play of Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons in his ear, little hard to see where Rodney gets minutes. Yeah, I do think Rodney might get pinched um when when CJ's healthy. He's just he's been really bad this year, and when they have another ball handler, his the way I, my read on is Rodney is playing because they need another ball handler and Ant has not been up to that 
task necessarily and that and that T- Terry just trusts Rodney from that and he's and he's letting him go and he obviously trusts Rodney's track record etc cetera, etc cetera. but Rodney's been bad and they I mean it's not a secret I'm sure the Blazers know know well um, they're all familiar with the numbers and they also watch the games several times they know so um, the other reason that I think Rodney could be traded is because he makes a bunch of money he's the most he's like the most tradable contract I don't know if he's the most tradable player because he's bad he's been bad um, if you're a longtime listener you know that I love Rodney Hood the person. I'm talking about Rodney Hood the basketball player. Uh, he hasn't been very good. And it's it's a bummer because he's coming back off a brutal injury and you want to see him get better. And I, I'm rooting for Rodney Hood the dude, um, but he struggled and I think it would make sense to play him less in favor of those guys you mentioned. And in theory, if the Blazers swing a trade, trading a guy who's making eight figures, is is that's the best contract to trade to make an impact trade. It's just who is is there a team out there that wants to absorb Rodney Hood's expiring contracts? Like that's the question. So I do, I think the odds on Hood being traded are pretty low, but I also think he's in a lot of ways the most interesting trade chip or the most valuable, the most valuable trade chip is, do I really believe that? I think he's the easiest thing, the easiest contract to trade is what I actually believe. Next question comes from Thomas Cogswell at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter, who asks, Some Blazer fans have been talking about the prospect of trading CJ McCollum for some time and the idea that this team can't be a title contender with so much money tied up in Damon CJ. So my question, is there a scenario where you see Neil dealing CJ during his current contract? My guess is no. Your guess is correct, Thomas. Thanks for the question. Next question comes from Dermot, who asks, If Jody Allen does indeed sell the team, do you think the Blazers are in danger of being moved to another city? I know a few Supersonics fans still traumatized by the departure of the team. I don't, actually. I... I know that that's a fear that some Blazer fans have, but I think the NBA got burned so bad by how poorly the Sonics moving out of the Northwest did that it kind of um, protects the Blazers from that same fate. Uh, I think uh, I think if they get sold, they'll be sold by someone who, who commits to buying the team. Uh, the Allen Estate owns the arena outright and the dirt that the arena's on because they own the whole Rose Quarter. So if it, someone were to buy it, they would also own the arena. And that is, you're not a renter in that in that that case um you you got there's a you're making a whole bunch of money so so yeah i don't i think the sonics in some way protect the blazers from it next question comes from jason who asks why don't we pick up jeremy lynn from the g league on a minimum to run our second unit as a ball distributor he's also shooting a pretty decent 48 percent from three in the g league and averaging 7.2 assists this might be dumb but was just thinking a good distributor will really help our second unit so i don't think it's passing that the blazers need honestly i know that they don't pass well but i don't think adding a guy who like in theory is a good passer would make the other other players better passers like walk with me here for a second um the blazers problem isn't that no the blazers problem is that they have several dudes who aren't natural passers so the ball just doesn't swing so even if one guy makes a good pass it doesn't you know whip 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 around um particularly when dame's off the court it's just it's it's rodney and and gary trent and carmel anthony and just and and cj when he was healthy and Andrew simons and it's just it's just a bunch of guys who are just not natural passers so i don't think having um i don't think like a table setter is what that team needs uh I'm not going to speak to Jeremy Lin. I haven't watched any of the G League, so I don't know. I know my guy Kevin Dana could tell me about a whole bunch of... Uh, he's the Warriors play-by-play guy, or the, excuse me, Santa Cruz Warriors play-by-play guy. He he knows the G League better than anyone, so I'll ask him about Jeremy Lin. But um, I, I think in general, the thing that they need is downhill scoring. So young Jeremy Lin was certainly a really good downhill scorer. Um, I think they just need a guy who can get into the paint. They need someone who can who can beat people off the dribble and go score. I wonder at this age if that's what Jeremy Lin does. Um, I, 
to me, the, the skill set they need is a someone who can dribble towards the basket, not someone who's a table setter. It's it's a it's a distinction that is maybe I'm being pedantic, but I think it's a big difference in the type of guard they need. All right, let's come back in the third segment, answer more of your questions. But first, let's talk about Bet Online. Y'all know Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. They got NBA. You can bet on the NBA. You can bet on the NHL. You can bet on college basketball, both women's and men's college basketball. If you don't want to bet on sports, there's awards and reality television. They got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for the news, the scores, the odds, and it's just the best way to place your bets online, and it's free to sign up. So head on over to their website, betonline.ag. Do that on your computer or your mobile device, and make sure you while you're there, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. One more time, that is betonline.ag to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond, and you're still listening to Locked on Blazers. You like basketball? Well, maybe you need some fantasy basketball advice, and it's important if you need some of that advice that you got a reliable source, and more people trust Josh Lloyd, the host of Locked on Fantasy Basketball, than anyone else giving out fantasy hoops advice. So make sure you subscribe to the number one fantasy basketball podcast. That's Locked On Fantasy Basketball, available wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Russ's granddaddy who asks, if you took the West, the 2019 Western Conference Finals team and swapped Nurk and CJ for Clyde and Bill Walton and they played the first KD Warriors in the finals, who you got? Whew, that's a really good team, the... the uh, the 2017 Warriors, I will say the Blazers in seven because I think if we're taking those guys at their absolute peaks, that Bill Walton is like this elite multi-position defender that really that really changes the game. I I I worry that I that swapping Clyde for CJ because Clyde was awesome, right? Like they would be an elite offensive team. Um, I just worry that I worry they still are one wing defender short because like who still who guards Steph Curry? Um, good good luck to Clyde. So I'll take Blazers in seven, but it's going to be close. Next question comes from Tom in Texas at Ababaloke. Nailed that, Tom. I nailed that. A Babaloke. That's at a Babaloke on Twitter. I'll give it to you one more time. A Babaloke. Tom asks, if we got to steal one player from each team we beat in the 2019 playoffs, who would we have stolen and would that squad have beaten Golden State? So the who would have stolen parts? Easy, right? You steal Paul George in round one and Nikola Jokic in round two. Uh, that's that's easy money. I don't. It just the question is: Does Dame, CJ, Paul George, Al Farouk Aminu, and Jokic beat that Warriors team? And I say yes because that Warriors team did not have Kevin Durant in the Western Conference Finals, and after Game Three, they did not have uh, Andre Iguodala. He probably would have played in Game Four if the Blazers had Jokic and Paul George. But I'm going to say yes. That was a depleted and a tired, mentally, physically tired Golden State team. They still might have won the damn championship if they had gotten healthy. They were so good. Just have so much talent on that roster. But yeah, you had Paul George and Jokic, two all-NBA types. You're going to be really good. 
Next question comes from Jonathan Sassy at J Sassy on Twitter, who asks, assuming all current Blazers are healthy and they just want a tightly contested game, say 125-115 against a good opponent, what does your ideal box score look like by player distributing minutes, points, rebounds, and assists? So I don't think I have an ideal, like I don't think I have like this um, idyllic version of basketball. I certainly don't have it like specific to this team. In fact, I'm in a long running email thread where we pick the most bizarre, most fun line of the night. I love a weird box score. I love it. In fact, this makes me think of game six of the, we're talking a lot about the 2019 Western Conference playoffs, but whatever. Uh, It makes me think of game six of that, of that Nuggets series where Evan Turner did not attempt a shot and had six boards and six assists. Like that was awesome. And you don't, we wouldn't like pen that out as here's what Evan Turner needs to do, right? You would never say zero shot attempts, six boards, six assists. I love a weird box score. So there isn't, I don't have a, I don't have a platonic ideal for like sort of like box score distribution. I want to see weird shit and I want to see it all the time and I want it to be unpredictable. That's what I like about basketball. Next question comes from Dr. J who says, if you had a magic wand and with with either CJ or Nurk, one could come back right before the All-Star break and the other one would have to wait until the end of March, which one would you feel the Blazers need to come back first? To make it more fun, assume Harry Giles is back after the All-Star break. So I think CJ is going to play. Like, I think he's going to play on Thursday. Um, he's been clear. He was cleared to practice last week. Uh, I'm just, I'm reading the tea leaves that he's going to play on Thursday. So let's let's pretend that he, that he doesn't and all things are equal. <laughs> I'm still picking CJ McCollum because he's better than Nurk. Um, there was a time when Nurk was more effective than CJ McCollum. Uh, it was, it was two years ago. It wasn't, it was, and it was not, and it was obvious, but Nurk isn't that player right now. And, uh, the, I don't think Nurk transforms this team into a really good defense or even like an average defense. I think he takes them from like 28th to maybe 28th. And I think CJ could, could boost the offense. It could cure some of their crappy minutes when Dame's on the bench. So it's CJ and not, it's not, that's. I don't even really hesitate with that one. That one's easy for me. Next question comes from Jacob, who says, do the Blazers have a time zone advantage? When the Blazers play in New York City at 7 p.m., that's 4 p.m. Pacific time, a very reasonable time to be awake. But when the Knicks play in Portland for a 7.30 tip-off, it's already 10.30 p.m. in New York. That game ends close to 1 a.m. Do you know if teams in the West have a time zone advantage? So, Jacob, there was a sleep study posted, uh, written or conducted by um, a group of scientists based in Boston. I believe they were at Harvard, but it might have been a collection of, of all those schools that are there in Boston. And the sleep study suggested that, yes, not only NBA, but across several sports, several, particularly non-football, because with the morning kickoffs in football, it gets a little bit different for West Coast teams. But for teams that play at night, uh, tra- teams on in the Western Um, time zones have a distinct advantage and particularly teams in the east who have to travel across multiple time zones to play games have have over a five season period in the nhl and the nba were had a worse winning percentage than the comparative west teams heading the other direction so yeah i think the blazers have a have a slight rest advantage uh sure yeah i don't know i wonder how that really plays out because they um you know, the, the road trips are broken up, so they're not all created equal. But yeah, in theory, there is a circadian advantage to being a West Coast team and traveling East. Next question comes from Jesse. Jesse, congratulations to your Syracuse Orangemen who beat my Tar Heels soundly when they, last week when UNC went up to the Carrier Dome 
Um, we had a little, we had a little friendly, friendly email bet going on. And I just want to say congrats to the Orangemen. It won't make me respect Jim Beheim, but a loss is a loss. Jesse asks, does the Carmelo and LaMelo ball jersey swap or the Mellow Mellow jersey swap mean this could be Mellow's last year? Could you see him sticking around another year, even if he isn't with the Blazers? So I got a very similar question last week, but I didn't think about it in context of the uh, jersey swap. My read on that is that Mello knows that everything is uncertain and that you might as well, this is the first time they've played together and it could be the last, so you might as well just do the do the jersey swap, show your respect then, because doing you can't you can't know if there's a future. And I think Mello is at a point in his career where he understands that you cannot know. So um, I could see Mello coming back another year. He's been pretty good in year 18. Uh, it's just, does he love the grind, you know? Uh, Obviously, this year is not the same NBA grind, and he even talked about how much he misses kind of uh, in a story in The Ringer about just like going out to dinners, team dinners, team bonding, picking out restaurants and taking out his homies on the on the roster and, um, you know, his teammates and, and going to get a, a good going to get the best Italian food in whatever city they're in. That's And then drinking a bunch of wine. He says that is one of his favorite things about being in the NBA. And now you just have to sit in your hotel room and order room service. Uh, so it's it depends. I kind of think it depends on the situation of the, the league next year, context of the league. But yeah, I could see Melo coming back. I don't think it's... He seems like a good enough NBA player that he could have one more shot at it if he wants to. Next question comes from Dr. J who asks, I found myself less interested than I ever have been in college basketball and barely watched a game. The college game has degraded over the years, and I wonder how much of the fun in watching is the environment of the fans in the arena, which is now completely lacking. What about you? Are you still engaged in watching your Tar Heels? So Carolina is the only team that I'm like, really like have an emotional connection to. And that doesn't mean that I don't, I like, I love the NBA and really enjoy watching it. But like, I watched the Carolina beat Duke on senior night and I was emotional watching their seniors tear up on the bench. Like I'm, I'm out here. I love these dudes. I've loved watching them for four years. So it's going to be hard to diminish my love for Carolina basketball. But I will say that the lack of fans, Carolina beat Duke at Duke, and not being able to see fans in that arena be upset that my Tar Heels won took a little bit of um, took a little bit of the the fun out of it. It did. I think in I think the environments, particularly in some classic places in college basketball, not having the fans um, has 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 diminished it a little bit for me to be certain. Okay, next question comes from Nathan. Final question of the show. Nathan asks, looking to the second half of the season, do you see any major things we can look forward to us maybe actually accomplishing? Like, what's the best for the taking? One, Lillard is the regular season MVP. Two, we win a playoff series. Or three, we match the success of two years ago. So that would be winning two playoff series. Uh, I'll rank them in order. One, the Blazers win a playoff series. I'll use your collective pronouns. We win a playoff series. Blazers win a playoff series. Most likely scenario of the three you mentioned. Two, Damian Lord wins. Do I really think that? I don't. Uh, two, the Blazers win two playoff series and make the Western Conference Finals. And three, Dame wins MVP. Look, uh, the Blazers are just going to have to take off in the second half for him to win MVP. The narrative's against him. There's a whole other damn conference. It doesn't matter necessarily what he does in the West. If if the, if the Philly rolls and wins the East, Joel Embiid's going to win MVP. He's got the narrative train. is pumping along. Uh, he's 
he's probably going to have a better statistical profile just because of all the rebounds and block shots and uh, perceived defensive impact. Like I think Joel Embiid's a, a pretty good defender, but I don't think he's like um, I don't think he's defensive player of the year level defense. I don't even think he's best defensive player on his team. Uh, so I like. LeBron is is going to have this momentum. I think there's going to be a momentum for James Harden with the with the Brooklyn Nets. I think Jokic and and uh, and Denver they're going to have a really strong second half. Like I I I think Dame's MVP. Like I think Dame will end up in the top five in MVP voting again because he's he's awesome and the, and he's just going to carry the Blazers to a, a spot that a lot of people don't think they're going to end up. Like if, if the Blazers finish like fourth in the West, Dame's going to get a ton of votes. But is is he gonna is he going to get is fourth in the West enough to sort of like really sway the rest of that, of, of whatever that narrative looks like. Um, and if a non, if a non jazz team, like the, like either of the LA teams wins the West, the, someone on one of those teams, Kawhi or LeBron is going to have, you know, you know, a, a big advantage over Dame. So I think that's the least likely of the three. Um, if I had to pick none of the above, I think that would be the most likely. Uh, it's going to be tough for them to win a playoff series, like straight up. It's going to be tough for them to get in a good playoff seed. It's going to be a tough, like, there's a bunch of good teams in the West. It's going to be a tough for them to not only maintain their position of fifth, but climb. Uh, I think, you know, Denver right behind them and is a really good basketball team. Uh, so I I think the Blazers are in for it. I think the second half is going to be really, really challenging. I, I just, I there's no other way to say it. Uh, the schedule is going to be harder. They play better teams. Uh, the, you know, other teams that have had maybe bad injury luck will get healthier along as the Blazers get healthier. So you don't get to dodge those things. It's, it's, it's going to be up an uphill battle because that is the nature of how the NBA works. It is a long, tough, regular season. Um, and then there's a whole different sport that comes around when the playoffs happen. And I'm not sure the Blazers team as without a real big step forward from Nurk and maybe, uh, the same from the either Robert Covington or Derek Jones Jr., like one of them really developing into a consistent offensive player in some way that you can depend on. I'm not sure this team is like a, would be favored in a, in a playoff series right now. Uh, you know, if they were to if they were straight up just to play the fourth seed right now is a little bit wonky. Like they're not going to be favored against the LA teams, but if they were just to play Phoenix in the first round of the playoffs, I don't think the Blazers would be favored in that series. I think Phoenix has more talent, so it's. It'll be tough. It'll be tough. Two, getting to the West Finals would be a hell of a year. Uh, would Absolutely a hell of a year. But even winning one is going to be tough because the second half of the season is going to be so, so hard. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Like, I... I, you know, I'm, I'm joking about crying about Carolina basketball games. I'm not joking about that. I'm telling you all the truth about crying over Carolina basketball games. But, uh, like, this is why I love the NBA because there's, you know, 37 games left in the Blazers season and we really don't know what's up. And there's going to be some, some, you know, they're getting new players back. There's going to be movement across the league over the next 17 days. Like, it's, this is fun. This is fun, y'all. So, like, if I'm, if you feel like I'm raining on your parade by saying it's going to be really hard to win a playoff series, I just mean that in the way that I love the league and there's a whole bunch of talent in it. And if the Blazers want to be in the mix, they're going to have to play really, really well. And they're going to have to have, they're going to have to probably surprise me and a lot of other folks in order to do so. If you want to get Mailbag Monday in the future, please just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Helps if you tag it as mailbag. That way I know you're not just asking me a question on Twitter. You, you can either just send, you can just send me a tweet and everything thinking of it or uh, watch this guy's Monday morning when I send out a tweet around 9 a.m. Pacific time soliciting your questions. If you're not a Twitter user, you can email the show, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address. We do this every week. It's a lot of fun. 
would love to have you involved if you've never done it before. And if you do it all the time, I'm really happy to have you involved. And if you're not a question asker and just a listener, I appreciate you just the same. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. They'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.